Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by guest speaker, Reverend Amanda Goldbeck. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles at page 185 or on your screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, a prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Hearing your scripture and reflecting on it this day, may we go out as changed people. Last weekend, I traveled two hours west of Evanston and spent the weekend at Camp Stronghold in Oregon, Illinois. I had the privilege of spending time with five of our church families as we held our annual family camp. It is always a fun time of stepping out of the routines of daily life and connecting with each other and God's creation. I invite each of you to consider joining us next summer. No one is too young or too old to join. The camp is beautiful, filled with wonderful activities like archery, a high ropes course, a zip line, a swimming pool, and ample hiking trails. It also has its very own castle. I'm happy to explain further about that some other time. Our days at camp are bookended by morning devotions and evening worship around the campfire, where we break bread together with graham crackers, marshmallows, and chocolate. The 24 of us that gathered together over the weekend were the body of Christ. We were a family of faith. We were community. 
As I reflected on our scripture from Ephesians and the unity that it describes, which is central to Christian community, I found myself brought back to a particular image from my time at family camp. While at camp, we eat our meals in the camp dining hall. The kids love the opportunity to establish their independence, and so they had chosen a kids-only table at the very opposite area of the dining hall from where the tables were, where all the adults were sitting. Some of these kids have been in Sunday school together. Some have seen each other at a few events at church. And some haven't spent all that much time together over the duration of the pandemic. But they all gathered around a table together and were talking and eating and laughing and goofing around. As I glanced over, I saw a glimpse of the kingdom. You would have thought these kids had spent their lives together. I will confess I had a moment of longing as I watched these kids from afar. I think I envied how easy they made it look, how much that example of community, of union and unity is desired in our broader world and how rarely it appears. Today, we wrap up our nine-week series on community. We have been reflecting on what it means to be created for community. As we continue into a post-pandemic world, the topic of community, especially within the context of churches, is a regularly debated topic. Now, to be clear, when I use the term post-pandemic, I am not claiming that the pandemic is officially over more that we are at a stage where we are beginning to integrate the new realities brought on by the pandemic into the regular routines of our lives. We also have been walking this road long enough now to begin to be able to look back and see the ways in which the pandemic, particularly in the church world, has pushed us to face certain realities we have previously avoided, the ways in which it has revealed challenges, and the ways in which it has equipped the church to move in new and needed directions. Individually and personally, we are entering a time where we too can begin to reflect on these past few years, on the loss, the grief, the hope, the changes, the ways our lives were opened up to questions we may have never focused on before. The pandemic has put before us questions of time. How do we want to spend our time? How will we spend our lives in terms of careers and schooling and hobbies? Will we live lives so packed full of everything that we don't have time to think or to breathe, to pray, to be present? The pandemic also set before us questions of belief. What do I believe in? What do I hope for? Where does happiness and joy and meaning come from? It also laid bare for us questions of justice. What is right? What is wrong? Where are the cracks and brokenness and how we see, treat, and love our neighbor? All of these questions are nestled within the larger questions of community. 
who we are, what we believe in, how we spend our time, where joy and meaning emanate, what it means to love our neighbor and how we live that out are all factors in community and its place in our lives. The pandemic has taken us back to foundational questions around community, such as what is community? What is its purpose? What community am I a part of or do I want to be a part of? What defines community? As we move forward into this new world, this new landscape, both within the church and within the broader world, questions around community are central to our discernment as a body of Christ here at First Pres and in the broader Christian church as a whole, which is why the topic of community has been floating to the top of discussions around various groups around here. And I found similar topics to be of particular interest in discussions with colleagues in other churches. These conversations often revolve around specific things that we should be doing in order to create community. Often when we talk about community, we talk about what programs we are offering, or how welcoming we are, or how do we help people know each other better. Now these are all good things and important to fostering a sense of community, but there is an even more important aspect of community that we often overlook in these types of conversations. It is that of unity. It was that unity that I saw so wonderfully exemplified by the children at family camp and whose example we are called to follow. Our scripture from Ephesians calls us to pause and remember that we, as disciples of Christ, have been handed a new calling, and that calling defines all that we do. In verse 1 of our reading, we are told, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, it is important to unpack this reference of the term worth. We tend to have an understanding of the term worth that indicates having to attain, achieve, or deserve something. It requires some sort of action on behalf of the one seeking to be worthy. The Greek word in this case is axios, which refers to an economical sense of worth, where something is brought into balance or equilibrium with another thing. Rather than us needing to make ourselves worthy or deserving of God's call in our lives, we are compelled to live so that our lives are an equal example to that which God has poured into us. Think of a scale with the two sides needing to be in balance with each other. This is significant because we are not being told to make ourselves worthy of God's call in our lives. We are being called to live as the transformed people that God has made us and claimed us to be. What defines that life we are called to live? Unity. The unity that defines our lives and is that which makes Christian community possible is not an attitude where we all get along with each other or simply a willingness to agree. It is defined in and through our union with God. And our being claimed by God through Christ's death and resurrection, we are brought into an inseparable relationship with God. Where there was once division, 
the walls have been destroyed. We are created in God's image and united with God and one another through the one spirit. The greatest image that we have of this union that we are brought into with God and called to share as an outpouring through our lives is that of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Now, the Trinity is one of the more challenging theological concepts for us to wrap our minds around. It is divinely other to any human experience. The nature of it as other makes it hard to talk about. Words at some point will fail to appropriately articulate what it is or how it is. In confirmation class, we spend time thinking through the Trinity. And one of my favorite activities I like to do with the youth has to do with toothpaste. I encourage you all to give it a try sometime. I give every student a little bit of aquafresh toothpaste and challenge them to separate out the three colors. Now, some get closer than others to achieving this challenge, but ultimately, it is impossible to separate the colors fully. It also helps to conceptualize the idea that while there are three distinct colors, just as there are three distinct persons of the Trinity, the colors are still all toothpaste, and the persons of the Trinity are all God. This indwelling nature of the Trinity in Greek is called perichoresis, and is sometimes likened to an eternal dance between the three persons of the Trinity. The Trinity is a reminder that we need God, for only God could ruin all of our conceptions of separation and division with the gift of the triune divine dance, where, there, where three is one and one is three, and that divinity is poured into us that we too would be called to live lives defined by one body, one Lord, one spirit, one God in which we have one hope, one faith, one baptism. The unity that we are called into is founded on seeing and understanding the Imago Dei, God's image in all those we meet. If I am created in God's image, then so is the person next to me and the person I walk by on the street and the person who just walked in the door today or joined us online for the first time today. Further, like the indwelling nature of the Trinity, we can only be living vessels of the life we have been called into when we humble ourselves, when we don't see ourselves as better or more valuable than others, when we practice patience and understanding and make space for others. The Trinity can only be through mutual relationship. The Father is no greater than the Son or the Son greater than the Spirit. All are required for the all are required for the other persons of the Trinity to be. Similarly, in Christian community, unity doesn't mean an absence of diversity. It doesn't mean that sameness is the goal. That is a dangerous misinterpretation of the kingdom-focused unity that we are called into. This unity is one that enables union between all people, 
while encouraging and enabling the development of diversity within community and the family of God. In just a few minutes, we will gather around a table, much like our children did at family camp last weekend. We will gather around this, the Lord's table, and participate in the embodied act of professing the great unity that God has called us into with God's self and one another. Communion is the very literal act of being in union. The act of committing and recommitting ourselves through communion to living out who God has made us to be is a radical act that goes in direct opposition to the voices of this world that want us to believe that the singular is greater than the whole. Let us break bread and share the cup, affirming that we are a people broken but blessed, sinners that are saved, and children of God created for community ever seeking the unity found in the culmination of the kingdom of God. Amen.